In this edition of Technically Speaking, we're talking about the use of technology in education and utilizing online courses for many individuals. And thanks for joining us here on LJN Radio today. I'm Tim Muma. Our guest sees the many benefits of technology, but he also sees the need to be extremely select in who is using the technology and how it's implemented. On the phone, we have Jim Rovira, Associate Professor of English at Tiffin University. He returns for a second time to the show. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Yeah, I thought we had a good conversation last time, and this subject is uh, very appropriate and something that is constantly on the top of people's minds. We're talking about technology and, of course, then relating it to education, which is an area of expertise for you. If I just open it up broadly to begin with, how effective, how how much quality do you see in utilizing technology for education? Just kind of your off-the-cuff take. Well, see, it's a a big topic. Mm -hmm. So I think a big problem is people are looking to answer the question in a big way, like some kind of overarching question. Right. And I don't think that's the way to approach the topic. Which technologies benefit which students? Hmm. That's the question we need to ask. Sure. Technology and education means so many different things. Some of it works great and some of it doesn't. Some students benefit from it and some students don't. So we need to look at what works and what doesn't. This topic really is you know, I see two big different parts of it. One is educating students to use technology. Right. And that's very important. You know, I wish every student learned the programming language and uh, how networks work and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then educating students with technology, that's a separate question. Right, right. And that question needs to be split up into different topics, too. There's educating students online. That's one type of technology. And then there's using, like, computer programs in tandem with classroom instruction, and that's another use of technology. And then there's using computer programs and and other things like that. And technology goes beyond the computer, too, like, you know, listening devices, things like that, outside of or supplemental to classroom instruction. And that's that's something separate, too. So what what I want to emphasize, though, when it comes to buying a computer program to educate students, you need to understand these are all vendors who are working to make money. Hmm. And if the program doesn't work or isn't very effective, no one's going to know if that's because the teacher didn't use it right or the program really doesn't work. Right. And the vendor who's in it to make money is always going to say it's the teacher's fault. <laughs> and and that's, that's a narrative that is plausible to most people out there who don't know how education works. Right. You want to see our education spending as a country as having a bunch of different hoses, you know, stuck into it mm-hmm. and money's being sucked out from a bunch of different quarters. And a lot of that is profit driven. So what we need to do is ask whether or not you can blame the teachers or not, is this technology working for us? Right. And and the biggest use of technology now in education, not just higher ed, but K through twelve is testing technology. Mm. You want to ask how many billions of dollars are the people providing and scoring these tests making? And do these tests really measure what we want our students to learn? Yeah. And I think in many cases the answer is no. And you gotta understand the people doing this are doing it to make money. This is a, a profit driven enterprise. Mm-hmm. The question always needs to come back to student learning. What is effective and what's not? I, I know a woman with a PhD in rhetoric and composition who has had dyslexia, and she had computer programs that she was put on when she was in college that helped her with her dyslexia. 
All right, that's an example of a technology that works. Sure. On the other hand, San Jose State University, to save money, this doesn't really save money, but in order, <laughs> because they believe they would save money, partnered with Udemy to put their remedial classes online. And that was a dismal failure because, you know, remedial students, students who are remedial in math and in English, mm-hmm. the problem is they don't have the skills that you need to succeed in online education to begin with. And that's the ability to process written instructions and to work independently. You know, I would say, like, just online courses for remedial students are going to be a problem. But certain types of technology designed specifically to help students who have a specific disability, that may be very useful. Yeah. I like the way that you're differentiating the two. I mean, it's all technology driven in these cases, but just as you pointed out there, there are various different ways to utilize them and the fact that technology could be helpful and hurtful to the same person, depending on how you use it. Right, right. So what the, the question is always, what technology are we talking about for what student population? That's the question we have to ask. Mm-hmm. If you want to teach students to write computer programs, it's conceivable that an online course might be actually better in some cases. They teach you to write a, say, a short bit of code that's native to the computer environment itself. Sure. The computer runs the code, it breaks, and then shows them what's wrong. That sounds like a good ex- instructional model to me. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of online education, the studies I've seen indicate that more advanced students often tend to benefit from some online classes at least because they can work more independently. Right. It's certainly true that our more advanced students need to be like cut loose more, work more independently, be more creative with the material. That's how they really learn and that's how they really develop. So, you know, if technology can facilitate that, then we should do it. And, and then when we're talking about online courses, those aren't just one thing either. There are courses that are taught fully online. They're run by, run by a professor. There's maybe 20 to 40 students in the course, and the professor is able to give the students some individual attention. That's one kind of online course. Okay. Then there are MOOCs, or massive open online courses, where maybe thousands of students are in the course. So there, there are very few meaningful, at least college-level assessments, possible for tens or hundreds of thousands of students in a single course. And the, the professor or even a professor and a horde of teaching assistants can't give everyone individual attention. That's a different kind of online course. And then there are online supplements to courses that are taught in person, hmm. right? I use those all the time. And I've, I've been teaching online since 2008. Okay. So I'm, I'm familiar with, with all of, all these different things. Right. Yeah, that's different too. And you know, all of those can work better or worse for some students and for some type of material. It is interesting with the online courses. Um, you know, I had taken a couple for various reasons. And of course, everyone can argue there are pros and cons to it. And you touched on some of the different aspects, uh, you know, depending on the type of student that it would be and the type of course specifically. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. I wanted to take us back to something you mentioned earlier and the idea of utilizing technology, as you said. I mean, it is used throughout. I mean, it's K through 12 and then in the higher education as well. There's a concern that's often brought up that we're using it too much now, that it's just we're utilizing these programs, as you said, that maybe may or may not be effective. You know, there's always a concern of especially the younger kids, but even the older students as well, that they're constantly on technology, constantly using screens, that that's an issue, that that's not a positive in the long run. Have you seen any, the negative side of that, of just too much use of technology and then how that could be harmful? Oh, oh yeah. Do you have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could go for a while. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll try to keep it relatively <laughs> short. We, I have 
three elementary school age mm. children. Okay, I have a, an 11 year old son, an eight year old daughter, and a four year old daughter. The four year old daughter is actually country sure. school. My older daughter and my son, through their local high schools, are given homework on a on a computer program, a, a web based computer program called Study mm. Island. They're assessed. They're actually graded based on how they perform on the Study Island assignments. Okay. Now, I sit there and I watch them use it, <laughs> and I can't honestly say that the program assesses their knowledge. Right. Right? The program assesses their knowledge partially, but it also assesses the speed of the internet connection. Because <laughs> what happens if, if there's a, a hang-up and the program times out, that marks the answer oh. wrong, or shows that they're, they have an incomplete on right. the quiz. It tests their ability to navigate the program. It tests the quality of their computer. And then on top of that, quite often I've seen, and this is probably not unique to my children's school, they're assigned to do study island assessments covering material that they haven't been taught in class hmm. yet. So the assessments aren't aligned with the team. Really? And that's a useless assessment. That's just not something that hmm. you do. You don't, you don't ask them to do to, to review material on their own right? and then get it on their own with no instructor guidance and then assess them and make that part of their grade. That's irresponsible. Yeah. Do people think that because of the technology, it will be like, oh, it'll it'll happen. You'll see it. It's a lot easier. And I, I guess I'm, I I would be curious as to why they think that would work exactly. Right. It's it's really, I think, just poor planning. Okay. That's, that's it. They're, they're not thinking through. And on top of that, yes, there's a certain amount of mystification with technology. Mm-hmm. If it's on a computer screen, people tend to think it's better. Right now, you need to understand. I mean, you're you're speaking to someone who teaches English literature. <laughs> now, it, now, of course, if I was teaching computer programming, there would be no question. If I was teaching engineering or architecture, you've got to use a computer. Right. There's just there's no other way to right. do it. I can teach students English literature and, and give them the benefits of that learning with a pad, a pencil, and chalkboard just as well as I can with all the technology in the world. As far as the cognitive development, the ability to to think critically, creative development, the ability to write, technology is pretty much irrelevant to my discipline. Mm. Now, the truth of the matter is I, I still use technology in my discipline quite a bit. Right. So it's unrealistic for me to say that I, and it would be irresponsible for me to actually teach my discipline and ignore technology. But I am saying that I can't. Right, right. And it would be just as effective. And, I, and if someone's willing to pay for a study, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll teach one set of students using one kind of materials, all electronic, and I'll teach another set of students chalkboard, pad, and pencil, and books. That would be fascinating. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the second set of students did better because there are fewer distractions. Interesting. Sustain, just the ability to, to sustain focus on written material is very important in the workplace and in life. Instead of expecting everything to come at you in sound bites with massive distractions, mm-hmm. you know, being able to stop, focus, and read more than seven bullet points. I mean, this is even in an Onion article, you know, nation shocked at solid block of paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't even break it up into bullet points. Right. You know, I mean, this is a serious loss in our, in our abilities to think and to process information and to sustain concentration. And I think technology, yeah, as you mentioned, has contributed to that. Let's jump back quick to the idea of uh, online classes, online learning in that way. You talk about distractions there. 
What would you point to as some of the pros in general? Obviously, you already mentioned earlier how it's going to matter probably on what class it is exactly and what type of student, um, you know, if they need right. that attention versus being able to work on their own. But in general, what would you point to as a, a couple of pros and a couple of cons to the idea of online classes, online learning? All right, well, for one thing, I, I think a lot of the, the arguments made by schools that are fully online in terms of access, I think they're valid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't realize how much that was true until I started teaching online myself. Okay. But I, I have taught many students who really can't get to a place to learn. Hmm. I've taught students who are in the military in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are no colleges they can go to there. Sure. I've taught students with disabilities who have a hard time getting out of the house or they're in relatively remote areas. Those students need to be reached with online classes. They need them. I don't think they should go away for that reason. You know, those are, you know, increasing access and being able to do the work mostly on your own time. I mean, you know, all my students are scheduled on a, like Wednesday to Saturday, you know, work week. Mm-hmm. You initially post by midnight Wednesday and then you respond to a couple of peers by midnight Saturday. Okay. Then you have other written assignments to turn in there too. But, you know, when you actually do the work, it's different from when it's due. Mm-hmm. If you're a working adult, if it's hard to access a, a local college, I think online is good for you. Right. you know, just find good ones. Find, find online programs associated with state universities mm-hmm. or with small private colleges that, that have you know strong reputation. The cons are there is more distance between the learner and the instructor than among the learners. And that's, you know, geographically true. And it's also true because, you know, you can't do everything on video. Right. So for the most part, it's text-based. If you try to do everything on video, you're going to have students who don't have the bandwidth to manage it or they don't have the computers that can manage it. And if if you are uh, are trying to make this education accessible to everyone, then you have to accommodate students with different degrees of tech, you know, access to technology. Mm-hmm. Text-based, everyone can access because that's low bandwidth. If you try to do everything on video, it just some students would be excluded just for that reason. It tends to be a, at least a mix of text and visual media. And even with that, though, there's, there's distance between the instructor and the students and the instructor and, and, the, and the students and the students. I believe that some students form meaningful relationships online through their online classes and other online forums, but it's not the same as an in-person relationship. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that side of it. You know, you, you mentioned the relationship between the, you know, the professor and the student, but actual the student interaction, I think that is a, a fair point as far as the, that lack of interaction and building that rapport. Yeah, the workplace is increasingly online, but if you think about the majority of your business interactions throughout the day, and of course, you and I are speaking over a phone. Mm-hmm. I've seen a picture of you. You're a good-looking guy, <laughs> but oh, wow, um, I don't you. really, you know, <laughs> yeah, hey, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't really know you, and I can't process your body language or your facial expressions while I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. So that's a big loss in communication, and most people conduct most of their business throughout the day or at least a significant part of it, to face-to-face interaction. So you lose the ability to bring that kind of processing into the educational environment with online classes. Because as I said, you can't do everything by video. You can do some, but some students will be excluded too. Sure. 
Jim, we are unfortunately up against the clock, and I know these subjects you could talk about for hours, and I really would love to do that. But of course, uh, attention spans of people, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, don't go that long anymore. (laughs) So uh, we'll probably uh, try to hook up again and and get into more detail and give our listeners a little extra insight. But I wanted to give you the floor here at the end, last 30 seconds to a minute or so. What would you want to leave them with in regards to this huge topic, but maybe something you'd want them to focus on uh, that we talked about or maybe we didn't even touch on? Okay, I would say first, technology matters, and technology is inescapable. And for that reason, students need to learn how to use technology. They need to be educated to use it. They have to understand how it works. On the other hand, technology isn't a panacea. Putting it on a computer isn't going to make it better necessarily. And when it comes to educational technology, it's almost always coming from a vendor who's looking to make money. And they are not beholden to the students or who are paying tuition or whose parents are paying tuition or to taxpayers. So you as a parent and as a student and as a faculty member and as a college and university administrator have to accept responsibility for assessing the actual effectiveness of these educational technologies. And if they're not working, drop them. Don't think it's going to be better just because it's on a computer screen. But don't be closed-minded to things that can work either. It's a difficult balance to maintain, but that's, that's, I think, the real situation. I think uh, just with a lot of the points you brought up today, a nice perspective to wrap up the show with. Uh, Jim, we appreciate you bringing your insight and and really your firsthand experiences, both as a professor and even as a a parent as well. So I appreciate you coming on and speaking with us. All right. Thank you. It's always great to talk to you, Tim. You too. Thanks, Jim. That is all the time we have today on Technically Speaking and our conversation with Jim Rovira, Associate Professor of English at Tiffin University. We had a nice conversation there about technology, of course, the pros and the cons. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our shows on LJN Radio, just send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can tweet us at the LJN. And also check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes store to find all of those. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.